Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr. And I'm Caitlin Andrzejczyk. And this is the Endocrine News Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be talking about neonatal vitamin D deficiency and insulin resistance. We're joined by Dr. Kyle McNerney of Washington University and St. Louis School of Medicine. Thank you for being with us, Dr. McNerney. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about maternal vitamin D deficiency for just a moment. Do we know how prevalent it is? We do have some idea of how prevalent it is, and it is quite common. Many studies indicate up to two-thirds of pregnant women have vitamin D deficiency. And again, we use various levels for determining that, but generally it's somewhere between 20 and 30 nanograms per milliliter. And what's what I think is most interesting about that is that this is occurring despite very routine prenatal vitamin supplementation. So your study identifies a relationship between the maternal vitamin D deficiency and offspring insulin resistance. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to establish this connection and what mechanisms did you identify? A lot of our work initially was based on observational data of the prevalence of vitamin D deficiency in mothers and that this did seem to have an association with childhood outcomes. Um, there are several good studies looking at low vitamin D levels in moms and increased adiposity, BMI, and even insulin resistance in children as measured by HOMA-IR. And these effects start to become unmasked even in early childhood as young as five or six years of age. So working off of that premise, we wanted to view if vitamin D as a marker for malnutrition could establish programming early in life, even prenatally, that then persisted and could explain some of those associations we were seeing later in life. So a lot of our, our lab work with uh, Dr. Carlos Bernal-Mizrachi established a good mouse model that seemed to help explain how some of this effect could be mediated. So a lot of our work is done with the Kodimac mouse, which is a, um, a vitamin D receptor knockout mouse that's specific to macrophages. And with this mouse, we were able to show how a vitamin D receptor knockout in the macrophages could induce insulin resistance in mice, in these Kodimac mice. But what's even more neat is that we were able to rescue this mouse by doing bone marrow transplantation. So how we performed that was by transplanting irradiated Kodimac mice with bone marrow from both Kodimac or control mice, and we were able to rescue this phenotype of insulin resistance. If we weren't able to rescue that and say insulin resistance you know, were to establish in the newborn period, how might that affect that newborn's health later in life? So I think we're increasingly seeing in many domains, how our prenatal environment affects us, likely through genomic and epigenetic mechanisms. And we're hypothesizing that vitamin D is one of those mechanisms. And even though we can detect some changes early in life, I think there are definitely going to be implications that we see further and further out as we go decades into the lifespan. Your results reveal a genetic understanding of some underlying in utero relationships. Do you see any implications for precision medicine with this? Certainly. A lot of our work looks at vitamin D as a continuous variable, and I don't know if drawing a cutoff at one specific level is going to be important as just being in a deficient or sufficient environment, and that might vary for 
many people, depending on their own genetic polymorphisms, their vitamin D binding protein. There are a lot of specific ways in which precision medicine could determine and alter how we're able to treat patients. Can you tell us a little bit about the results that you saw in the newborns as it relates to the vitamin D levels? Sure. So we did, again, see a large proportion of newborns with vitamin D deficiency, and we were able to isolate monocytes from their uh, venous cord blood, which largely reflects the baby's environment right after birth. And we performed isolation and culture of them, and then we co-cultured the monocytes with 3T3L1 cells that were cultured to perform like adipocytes. And through these transwell experiments, we're able to expose the 3T3L1 adipocytes to media from the monocytes. So they don't have direct cell-to-cell contact, but soluble factors are able to be secreted that are able to affect these 3T3L1 adipocytes that are secreted by the monocytes. And what we did find was a strong correlation of vitamin D deficiency with reduction in the insulin-stimulated 2-deoxyglucose uptake of these 3T3L1 adipocytes. When we looked for what soluble factors might explain this, we didn't actually find changes in TNF-alpha, IL-1, or IL-6, but we did find through a microRNA panel that there were several microRNAs that were significantly elevated in the media, and one was most elevated and most persistently elevated, and that was MIR-106B. Can you tell us a little bit about the functions or what is known about this microRNA? So MIR-106B is known to regulate GLUT4 expression in skeletal muscle and is actually found to be higher expressed in humans with diabetes. So that microRNA in particular caught our eye and seemed to suggest a possible mechanism by which vitamin D deficiency could be inducing this worsened insulin sensitivity in the 3T3L1 adipocytes. So we conducted some follow-up experiments, and we did, again, find that MIR-106B was most highly associated with vitamin D deficiency in the monocytes. And then we performed some transfection experiments and found that while 3T3L1 adipocytes don't express MIR-106B at all on their own, exposure to these monocytes or exposure to the monocyte media actually increases their production of MIR-106B substantially. When we transfected these 3T3L1 adipocytes with a MIR-106B mimic, we were able to induce insulin resistance. And when we transfected them with an antagomere of MIR-106B, we were able to prevent induction of this insulin resistance. So do you think that this microRNA is a potential target for therapies that could be useful for this insulin sensitivity in newborns with vitamin D deficiency? I think it's an intriguing idea. Uh, The field of microRNAs is definitely growing, and they're found to be important in so many diseases and in so many tissues throughout the body that uh, the idea of treating with an antagomere, as we do in our cell lines, sounds promising, but I think it would definitely have lots of tissue effects that we couldn't predict right now. So based on your results, I'm very curious about the the public health implications of this research. Should we be reevaluating maternal vitamin D supplementation? I know that a lot of pregnant women are told by their physicians to take prenatal vitamins. Are these prenatal vitamins not supplying enough vitamin D? Or are pregnant women not taking the prenatal vitamins as suggested by their physicians? So we had 32 healthy young women 
enrolled in our study, and they had a very high rate of vitamin D supplementation, and 94% of them were on prenatal supplements. But still, in this study, 60% of those women had deficient 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels. And this is then seen in the newborns as well, where 83% of the newborn infants had deficient 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels, and that's less than 20 nanograms per ml. So this again shows how vitamin D deficiency is occurring despite routine prenatal vitamin use. Are there any recommendations that should be made in the future that supplementation maybe needs to be more robust? Well, currently uh, guidelines don't suggest routine monitoring of vitamin D levels during pregnancy. I think this definitely suggests we might be missing a large amount of vitamin D deficiency in the pregnant population. And I think even more importantly, we're now starting to see accumulating evidence that this deficiency could play out both prenatally and then throughout the lifespan. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your work with us. This is very illuminating. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Endocrine News Podcast. To learn more, visit www.endocrine.org slash podcast. There you can find this episode and some helpful links. You can subscribe to Endocrine News Podcasts on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. And if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover on the podcast, let us know by emailing us at podcast at endocrine.org. Thanks again for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.